What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Hardwood Knox. This is Adam Frommel here with my fantastic co-host, Dan Favalli, who's going to kick things off by telling us how he's doing today. I'm doing all right. I am very tired. My caffeine intake is way too high. I don't mean I'm trying not to complain because I know people have it worse and we cover a game for a living, but I am exhausted. And to be honest, I love podcasting. So this is going to be fun and cathartic. This week needs to end for me. That's how I feel. How do you feel? I hear you. I hear you. You know, right now I'm just trying to think of examples of athletes who it's just impossible to hate uh, coming up with like Derek Rose, maybe. Yeah, I don't. We'll start. I mean, should we throw Carmelo in there? Maybe Kevin Johnson, Ben Rollsberger. Yeah, you know there are a lot of options. Uh, OJ Simpson. Yeah, yeah. Just these There's universally likable guys. Really hard to hate. That's look as someone who now works part time in social media branding. I understand the challenges of running accounts like that and how underappreciated social media managers, coordinators, whatever they're called, are. That FanDuel tweet was. Is going to end up being like one of the three most tone deaf sports tweets of the year, and it's only February. I can say that without question at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like people can make mistakes on social media for sure, but like there was there was forethought that went into that one, and that was just weird. Yeah, yeah. When you saw the FanDuel um, sport uh, sports betting account reply to it, like it was like okay, there was some type of coordination here. That <laughs> that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, just not not a great one. But you know what was great on social media was all the questions we got for this mailbag edition. Yes. Do you want to lead us through it? Well, let's preface this with Adam is currently on a media blackout because he's um, recording a tennis match that he wants to watch. I respect it. So he's coming in here blind. And this is going to be very just off the cuff and exciting, which our mailbags usually include um, more forethought than we're about to put into them but we have a lot of good questions we'll try to get to as many as possible shout out to people who are dming me mailbag questions when we're not even doing mailbags just for the future mailbag i I, honest to god want to shout you you out and i'm going to use one of them today because it was i thought it was a great question but i appreciate the engagement keep them coming and definitely make sure that you know you're you're sending us more questions when we solicit them from the from the hardware knox account and if you can tell 
that they're coming from the NBA math account, send good questions there too, so that Adam's ego is not bruised and broken. I was gonna say I, w- I would welcome some some DM'd questions to me as well, but I, I know that's not gonna happen because for whatever reason, and it's kind of our running joke behind the scenes. Whenever I solicit questions for a mailbag, just crickets, absolutely nothing. And anytime Dan sends out one, it's the response rate is so much better. So I'm I'm glad to know that that there is a clear favorite, as there should be, among the co-hosts. It's get, I don't think it's the co-host, but there's maybe you're too cool for the internet because now it's getting glaring since you're using the NBA Math account with 70k plus followers, whatever it is. I'm using our Hardwood Knox account. Follow at Hardwood Knox. How's that for a plug? That has I think 4,500 followers. We love every single one of you. Keep the questions coming, but that's like that's a glaring differential. I, I thought I really had the hook this time with the uh, the TPA chart with the the Twitter followers who submit questions up in the top right. It was just still behind Jokic. It was too it interesting. Just, it didn't land. People it wanted to land. retweet it and engage with the actual graphic you put on there rather than the solicitation itself. That's how you have to look at it. it Maybe was, I need to like act like my feelings are really more hurt than they are, or beg, which I and just shamelessly do. beg. Yeah, and look, someone in the reviews wrote, I'm reviewing this because I feel bad. It seems like they're desperate for ratings and reviews. <laughs> that's literally what our last written review says. So. I mean, it's they're not wrong. Like That's a pretty good read of the situation, to be honest. Look, every time we get a rating or a review, our ego go, gets to go up a notch. For It's temporary, but we really appreciate it. So so keep those coming. Um, we might be desperate. Who knows? But are you ready to get into these questions? I think so. This one is fascinating to me, and it comes from longtime listener um, Miro, Miroslav Shuk, um, who I feel like I butcher his pronunciation all the time, and it's because I just suck at talking. Who is Denver's second best player this season? You know, you want the answer to be Jamal Murray, but I don't think it has been. Like, I, I think it's one of the, the role, it's got to be like one of the successful role players or Michael Porter Jr who I also have trouble putting in that category because as potent as he's been offensively, he just hasn't played enough yet. So like it, as, as much as I might get made fun of for this answer, like, is there a chance it's actually Monte Morris or, or can you get really excited? Cause could it be Jermichael Green? So if we're talking consistency, Jermichael Green and Monte Morris absolutely belong in the conversation. Right, they don't have the high enough ceiling for sure. Jamal Murray's peaks have still been there, and I'm convinced he's banged up. Like, it kind of looks like he's wearing concrete shoes sometimes, and so I don't know if there's something wrong with him there and he needs to take some time off, but he is still their second-best player. And if you want to talk about... Well, he he is their second-best player, but does that mean he's been their second-best player this season? I don't think that that's a different conversation, I don't think anyone's peak has been high enough to meet his and i i'm is it michael porter jr i think it it might be michael porter jr despite the missed time i know in like the value added impact metrics he's going to be second almost across the board because murray just hasn't quite been efficient enough and the other guys are 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 role players as successful as they've been so like it really might be mpj i just i have not enjoyed him defensively this season and there have been moments though there were more moments last season i would argue I, I would say that there have been the most moments, like the first few games this season, but not since his return. He's definitely been a turnstile since coming back. If you had to say who's been their second most consistent player, though, or most reliable, Jokic is just number one through and through. And I mean, who, Gary Harris might be their most consistent player. That's just in a good way. Not been a good thing. Okay. I'm, in <laughs> a good way. Clarification. Are you going to really just throw shade at someone who's not even playing right now? Come on, that's messed up. I'm sorry. I take it back. What is the actual it's, answer? It's, it's Monte Morris. I think it is. Do you, uh, so I just wrote. You know what you're going to get every night. 
there's a chance it's Jermichael Green, but there have been just some minutes where it's rough. Um, I will say the Jokic Jermichael Green pairing on offense, um, just amazing. Uh, anyway, and everyone loves playing with him too. It's it's so obvious, like how much he's surprised people at, at how good and all around he, game is. He's had some bad games, and maybe Monte Morris hasn't had those same valleys. My follow up question to this for the third question on this topic: Do you like? Can we relitigate the Facuno Campazzo edition at all? I still don't know. You know, he's been better defensively than I ever would have expected, but he's shooting like 25% on above the break threes. And there's, he's missed some time too. And he's not playing a ton. I just don't understand the, as John Hollinger of the athletic calls it the value proposition of spending a Reese, a financial resource on him, even though it was relatively cheap when you have Monte Morris and you have Jamal Murray and you were just, you know, couldn't they have taken a flyer on Glenn Robinson, the third, like just anyone who would have, boosted their wing depth to to some extent and i'm just wondering if he's if you want to call him a luxury that's fine but he seems like a very unnecessary luxury yeah i mean i i was i I was a huge facundo Campazzo fan even before he came to the nba i enjoyed watching him overseas and in international competition so i was excited when denver signed him but that excitement was mitigated by exactly what you're talking about because it never made that much sense because if you're going to play him it's either in a, a small dual point guard lineup, which doesn't really make sense when you don't have defensive anchors around them, or at the expense of Murray or Monte Morris, which, you know, as as you said, it, it's a luxury item, and it's one that could have been better used elsewhere. I would even argue, and look, it was most of the biannual exceptions, so we're not talking about a ton of money here. I still might argue that I would have, re- just for what this team needs, I'd have preferred to just bring back Tory Craig. I'm not going to lie. And maybe 100%. I'm... Maybe I'm too far removed from that situation, but I found no, that. No, I'm entirely in agreement with you. Um, I am going to need to refine my spot here because we went on that tangent. This was a good thought exercise, um, so I appreciate that question. Cole Walker has three questions. Let's start with this one. Are all of these injuries a blessing in disguise for the magic? I'm assuming I mean, he means in like, okay, this has to be the duh moment of – maybe we'll rebuild or it's going to improve their their draft positioning or both. Right, right. They're 9 and 16 at the time of recording, which is worse than they've been in the previous few seasons, can we but just, still like can we no, mention their injuries though? The injuries are Alfaruk Aminu out with uh dealing with knee injury. Cole Anthony has the shoulder issue right now. Michael Carter Williams dealing with the foot. Evan Fournier's missed time with um back problems. We know Markel Fultz is out for the season with the torn ACL on his left knee. Aaron Gordon's out. I think it's been like a week at this point, so another four to five weeks with that left ankle sprain. And Jonathan Isaac is out for the season. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh. It's just the onslaught of injuries here. Um, but he's he he underwent knee surgery, so he's not going to play. You know, he was injured last year. Right, and, and so that's the thing. It's like, on one hand, sure, it's good that they're finally moving towards the bottom of the standings, that they might have a more, more, more valuable draft pick during a really strong class. But then you look at who the injuries are, And that far outweighs that benefit because ultimately you don't want Cole Anthony to have to start over in his rookie progression. You don't want Markel Fultz, who is showing flashes of being like a legitimately good point guard in the NBA, 
to have to start over coming back from the torn ACL. You obviously don't want Jonathan Isaac out of the lineup the entire season because you can't evaluate him or get the luxury of him playing um, until he's a year further down the road. And then Aaron Gordon, you're missing out on chances to up his trade value. And if you truly are tanking and moving towards the bottom of the standings, then you obviously want to move him. So like none of those are good things. So no, I, I don't think there's enough of a silver lining in this situation to be worth talking about. I'll push back a little bit there. The Aaron Gordon trade value thing is, I, I believe that's real. Unless your plan is we just want to bottom out this year without making major changes and we want to keep him because I do still think he's a he's a useful player. Um, the Magic definitely need to surround just everyone with more shooting. But I think, look, Cole Anthony's issue is day-to-day, his uh, shoulder. So him just getting more exposure here because Fultz isn't there to take um, on so much of the minutes, I think those reps could end up being really valuable for him. Um, even with the Michael Carter, um, Michael Michael Carter Williams stuff, um, that's just going to ensure that Cole Anthony is getting serious playing time. I will say though, I think that's valuable. But in sum, I would probably agree with you. Where unless this, you're looking at this as, oh, is it the impetus to tear it down? And what does that even look like now because of the Gordon injury? I would hazard that it's. Let's see what we can get for Fournier, Gordon, and Terrence Ross. That's the way to, you know, Vooch is, I just don't think you're going to get equal value for him, and he should probably be an all-star this year. He made my yes. um, latest all-star list. Uh, well, first of all, no one should be playing in the all-star game this year. but Also, yes. He should be selected as an all-star. Can you name the the three, who have been their starting two, three, and four over the past two games? I want to see how many you can name. They're starting two threes and fours. I think I knew two of did, them because I watched their game, um, which was a loss to the Blazers. But I like couldn't remember what the third one was. And when I looked it up, it just it, it makes me even more excited to ask this question. Dwayne Bacon. Okay, you have one right. James Ennis. Two. Um, Kem Birch has played right. Has he started? Nope. No. I'm going to tap out at those. Gary Clark. Ah, Dwayne Bacon, Gary Clark, and James for? Ennis starting in the same lineup. Yeah, that's uh, that's not ideal. Cole Walker also asked, do you think there's any way Brooklyn can fix their broken defense? Does it matter? I think let's just answer the second question first. It absolutely matters. I know this team is going to be ridiculous offensively, but I don't think you can, with the top-end talent they have, you want to be able, and what they gave up to get James Harden, you want to be able to make the case that, oh, they're the clear-cut favorite in the East, and I think there are at least two teams in Milwaukee and Philly who belong in that conversation, arguably above them. So I think it absolutely matters, which would make the question, do you think there's any way Brooklyn can fix their broken defense? I think this one is as simple as just saying no. Like They knew what they were doing here, and that was sacrificing defense to have this offensive oriented trio. And I, I, I'm not sure that there's really anything that they can do because DeAndre Jordan is not going to be capable of cleaning up the messes that they leave on a nightly basis. They don't have the pieces around them, especially as they're playing like Joe Harris, who's going to have to get minutes. So no, I, I think they've, they've definitely limited themselves personnel wise to having what's probably going to be a bottom 10 defense at best. The offense could very well be good enough to make up for that. But when you have a team that's constructed like this, having a good defense, it might not be a necessity, but it's a floor raiser, right? Because your offense is going to have bad nights. And if your defense is never there to pick up that slack, 
that's problematic just because you're going to go cold at some point in the playoffs, especially as teams are adjusting and you haven't yet made those counters. And this this team is all about the postseason venture this year. So without without the defense to raise the floor, it's not necessarily like a death knell, but it does mean that there's less room for error on the offensive end and a cold streak could very well knock you out. So what I think is encouraging for them is that their defensive shot profile is actually pretty good. And so they're, they're coaxing teams into, um, you know, they're at least keeping them away from the rim at a relatively good clip. And they're taking a lot of short mid rangers and just all mid rangers in general. They teams are taking the fourth most mid rangers when you're looking at the share of their, their field goal attempts that come from mid range. Um, they don't allow a ton of threes or, like I said, looks at the rim. That helps. They don't foul a lot. So, like, there's some low-hanging fruit there that I think really helps them. But they don't have the personnel. I think you mentioned it. They're probably a bottom 10 defense at best, and they're 24th right now in points allowed per possession, minus garbage time. This is per cleaning the glass. They don't have the personnel to establish a much higher ceiling, and I don't know that they can get one. It's I would argue that it's good that centers can technically come cheap. Maybe there's one that ends up on the buyout market. Um, maybe you can, you know, lock into a PJ Tucker, though. I don't know why Houston would deal with Brooklyn again when it controls so many of their, their future picks. Um, can you get a Thaddeus young? Can you get, um, Aaron Gordon would be perfect for this team if he was healthy, but now you're running into the problem of, well, what the hell do the Nets have left to trade? And you, one, I don't think anyone's going to be interested in DeAndre Jordan. And two, you arguably can't trade him because, um, you don't have any other bigs on this roster, so you still kind of need the DeAndre Jordan um, and Nicholas Claxton. I think is he he's still recovering from COVID, right? And look, I want to mention this on the podcast because I'm sure that I've gotten it wrong and we're going to continue to get stuff wrong. This has been the hardest season of my entire career to keep track of shit, and it's just with the constant lineup changes, injuries, and the COVID protocols. So I don't want to misspeak and say that someone's been dealing with that stuff, and I also don't want to discount that when we're, you know, if I'm about to slander Davis Bertans, I'm giving anyone who's recovering from COVID like all the leeway in the world. So I want to make that clear. But this has been just a, it's melted my brain trying to keep track of all this stuff. So you're not going to move Jordan, and I think what you can do is. Does any team value having the injured Spencer Dinwiddie because you'll get his bird rights in free agency? Like, can you build the Spencer Dinwiddie two seconds and Timothy Luau Calbaro, who's giving them good minutes, does that get you Aaron Gordon from Orlando? Like, that type of deal might be the one you can make. Um, maybe that's what you do for Thaddeus Young. I actually wouldn't make that deal because he's been great on the short roll for Chicago and is a fantastic defender, but... I just feel like he can be limited in the playoffs. We saw it during his time with with the Pacers. And the other one that I absolutely wouldn't move, but maybe they're more open to this because they have so much offensive firepower. You do have Joe Harris and that four year, seventy five million dollar deal. It I don't. It wasn't a bad deal in real time, but it did feel steep. Just, but it's he's been fantastic for them. He has an effective field goal percentage of like ninety on. It may not be a great value, but it's hard to complain about that. Basically, uh, right now it's good. First of all, what look at this roster? He's probably what. Who's the better defender than him? Bruce Brown. Uh, Kev- um, that You just answered the question right there. <laughs> Kevin Durant, Bruce Brown, and let's just throw another player in there. It's got to be Jeff Green or maybe some nights. Probably Jeff Green. No, that's it. You know, 2.5 players are better than him on defense per night. So yeah, he, and he's not uh, a terrible defender, but you don't want him being one of your for. top three guys is my point. No, probably not. But uh, I wouldn't move him because I think he's so crucial to ensuring – just offensive balance since he doesn't need the ball and it doesn't impact what he does defensively, the number of touches that he gets. So 
I don't know if there's a smaller scale move. Is Again, is there a center that's going to wind up on the buyout market? If Toronto starts selling, um, Aaron Baines would be super interesting for this team. He started to, to play better. Again, what are you giving up if you're Brooklyn? And I don't even know that you need a big, by the way. If you can get a Tucker, if you can get a wing um, that's going to help you defensively, you can punt on defensive rebound and continue to go small. But if you're going to need to switch, like you need guys that can do that. And they're, again, their personnel just really isn't built to do that at the moment. I think I would just give up any pick or player below Joe Harris in the pecking order. So it's your three superstars and Joe Harris or your only untouchables. I think I think so, just given the construction. And look, like I so would... far, Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving have played in six games together. They're four and two in those games. They've, they've totaled 165 minutes on the floor together. Their offensive rating in those minutes has been 119.3, which is obviously really good. Their defensive rating has been 115.1, which is obviously really bad. They're still winning those minutes substantially. Like, you can lean into that strategy. It's just a higher variance strategy that comes with more risk in the postseason. But given the construction of the roster and you know, we're talking about these moves on the periphery that aren't really going to change things at a at a large macro level. So, you know, yeah, you can make those, you can try to improve marginally, but you're not going to change the overall makeup of this team. So just lean into it. And I would be reticent to even move Spencer Dinwiddie because while everyone thinks he's good as gone in free agency, he's still a really good player. He's so like, really good. You don't want to sell low on him because maybe he's – look, he's – to this team, he's just not as valuable anymore following these trades. That's that's a fact. But if you can maybe flip him on his next deal, uh, that is something to consider. But if you could get – I wouldn't trade him for Thaddeus Young. If you could get Aaron Gordon still using him, I'd probably consider it. So that's – that would be that might be the biggest move that they could feasibly make, but I don't even know how much Orlando would be interested in Dinwiddie's bird rights. I would argue if they don't want to blow it up, they should be very interested because he's exactly the type of player that they need to play next to Cole Anthony or Markel Folds. Yeah, I, given that given that Dinwiddie is an impending free agent coming off an injury, I, I would still move him for Thaddeus Young, just because you might as well just push the chips all in right now because you've you've opened the title window wide open. And you don't know how long it's going to stay open. This I'm going to use this question because it toes on what we were just talking about. It comes from Meyer uh, Rothbaum. What team is better, the Bucks or the Nets? I think it's still the Bucks. I mean, uh, I, the, the numbers bear that out so far. Giannis is unbelievable and probably a little bit overlooked and underappreciated at the moment. Just a little bit of, of fatigue after back-to-back MVP seasons, a little bit of questioning just because of the postseason failures, which as we've talked about before, you know, it's, it's hard to pin those entirely on his shoulders. Uh, but he's playing phenomenal basketball right now, and this team around him is good and has some depth. Uh I'm not as impressed by their depth, but they've gotten great minutes from Bobby Portis this year and Bryn Forbes. I still think the DJ Augustine signing was a mistake, given um, how Pat much. Pat Connaughton has been more useful than he was last year. Like the, even those marginal improvements have helped. Yeah, there's and look, I think the problem with Giannis is just a lack of variance in his game. Now he is screening more lately, which is a big deal. But the free throw shooting, just a lack of counters when he has the ball in his hands. Um, he's so, trying to take mid range game winning jumpers. I don't know what you're talking about. He's trying to diversify. Look, that's like a. I didn't have a problem with that. Everyone was saying how open Middleton was, and I was just like, there wasn't enough time on the clock. Like that, that doesn't bother me. I, I think it's fair to question whether should he still be taking this many pull up jumpers or three pointers when he's not hitting them. I do think that's a fair and honest question to ask. But I would lean the Bucks as well. There's a chance, though, while both these teams, both these teams are better built for the playoffs. Probably, I would argue, you might be able to talk yourself into Brooklyn come postseason time because. 
how many well no it's the same how many players do you trust in a playoff closing lineup on the Bucks? I think it's Drew Holiday Giannis Chris Middleton that might be it for me I'm just it depends that on the matchup might be for, it for me as well um, yeah, and then yeah, the Nets, I, I was going to say the same thing. The Nets have four because you have James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Joe Harris. I think those four are just fine. So maybe you could talk yourself into Brooklyn, but can we also include the 76ers here though? They're my, because they're, they're 100% in that tier and they might be the best of the three. And look, this is the, this will be the third and final question from Cole Walker. Do you think the overall, do you think overall that the East is better or worse than years past without looking at you know the concrete data for this and i wouldn't even read too much into the winning percentages just because of how uneven this season has been i would say it's it's deeper like maybe it doesn't have the same top end talent because i I feel like milwaukee brooklyn and philly belong in their own tier but there are just so many quality options still where it's like miami's starting to play a little bit better um toronto is starting to play a lot better you still have boston who feels like maybe they're a move away from being something special um and then there are just teams maybe they're overachieving at the moment but new york charlotte New York um, and Charlotte being competitive is a game changer Cleveland's been frisky, in and of itself. Not yeah. as much, but Cleveland's been frisky. Um, Detroit's the Bo- also one of those teams that isn't going to win games but is going to play tough every night just because everyone on that roster is fighting for either a bigger spot in the rotation or a spot in the rotation itself. So they're they're always challenging even if they aren't winning games. And there's like what's wild about the East is that there's only one – I mean maybe you say the same thing about the West, but there's only one team – that you know doesn't care about making it into a top 10 spot, and that's Detroit. Everyone else is, one, the Wizards are 6-16, six and 16, and they are only currently three games out of the play-in spot. So every team from the Wizards and above like actually wants that spot because you look at the Hornets, the Hawks, the Knicks, the Bulls, the Cavs. Uh, the, they've all been bad for a while, and then the Wizards have been bad lately. The Magic have just been so mediocre that you know they want to end in that sweet spot anyway. Uh, I would argue, yes, it, there there seems to be a lot less easier outs, especially when you just factor in like how much time some of these teams are, um, how how much time players are losing to injury in the league's health and safety right. protocols. And I'll spotlight Miami there um, as a team that's been really impacted by that. Let's get to some more questions here. Well, I, I want to ask you um, one follow-up question on the East before we do, and that's how many of these teams could make the NBA Finals out of the East? And you would be like, yeah, that makes sense. I think it's the three. Um, I'm trying to talk myself into another team, but I, I don't think I can at the moment. So I don't know what it. What I can talk myself into Boston. You can. They're like yeah. A, I mean, just if if Kemba is Kemba again, and Tatum and Brown are both there, they can beat anyone on any night. They feel like a a wing short. Maybe if Marcus Smart is healthy, you can really trust like their top four or five guys. But their depth has to matter to some extent in the playoffs. So that would that would legitimately surprise me this year. But maybe the Jalen Brown leap is the difference if you have Kemba being Kemba. So that's a good point. I, I have to ask about the Hawks, though, because they're 11 and 13. They, they've been underwhelming so far, but they also have not had these new additions. Bogdan Bogdanovich hasn't been available since basically the start of the season. Danilo Gallinari hasn't been fully worked into the lineup. They still haven't had Chris Dunn on the floor. Rajon Rondo's been in, out, in and out. DeAndre Hunter is hurt now. But if this team is fully healthy, like is that a team where you would be shocked that they're in the NBA Finals coming out of the East, or is that within the realm of realistic possibilities to you? I mean, it's definitely within the realm. I would still be surprised. Their defense has been a lot better than expected. Um, I guess I just haven't seen it on offense from them, and that's a product of Gallinari's been injured. Um, he's still ramping up, and you have Bogdanovich is out. I don't, the improvement. I think John... I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence too. Who would shock you more, the Raptors or the Hawks coming out of the East? 
the Raptors. See, it would shock me more if the Hawks. I think that's where, like, if we're using that as just the line of demarcation. Pacers or Hawks? Definitely the Pacers. I think I'm there, too, because we don't know what's going to happen with Karis LeVert. And they are banged up. They don't have TJ Warren at the moment. But I, I think, like... I would definitely not be even remotely surprised by the 76ers, the Bucks, and the Nets, probably in that order. I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's the Celtics. I'm on the fence about Atlanta and Toronto. And then I think Indiana, Charlotte, Miami, and everyone else is firmly out. And I realize I just said Miami, and I could really come to regret that, but we just haven't seen it yet this year. Yeah, I'd probably have, if, if I had to power rank the East right now, I'd go Philly, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Boston, Toronto, Miami would be like the six. And then the Hawks would be seven for me, I think. Miami and Toronto is a toss-up right now. But I do think the heat ceiling is lower relative to last season, even when they are going to be at full strength. Like They need to make a move, whether it's another shot creator or if it's like that dynamic four. The, them not re-signing Jay Crowder was, is a disaster, in my opinion. And, I don't understand that at all. Is- this is why I think we can definitively say that the East is stronger because we're not like comparing these teams to like a low lying fruit at the top of the conference. The 76ers have won 72% of their games. The Brooklyn Nets have maybe the NBA's best big three. The Milwaukee Bucks have the two time reigning, um, reigning MVP, the reigning defensive player of the year and a good roster. Like these aren't just no name teams that we're comparing typical more, first round stepping stones to you know th- this conference legitimately has quality depth i'm with you there uh this next question comes from jarf who asked a few we'll see i might sprinkle in more throughout the the podcast this one fascinated me though uh who is the more likely all-star nod chris paul or mike conley wow that is really tough um you know, something- it's going to be hard for either to get in, honestly, just because of how deep the West is with top-end guard talent. Um, but I think I would probably go with Paul, just because neither is going to get voted in as a starter. And I think that Paul is more likely to generate respect from the coaches who make the reserve selections. But, you know, Utah is going to have that. I mean, they're, they're leading the Western Conference right now. They could be leading the Western Conference at the time that selections are done, and they're going to have to have someone in there. I would go Conley because I do think he's been better in the aggregate, even though CP3 has had to carry an incredible workload at times in Phoenix, and he's been awesome in crunch time for them. That, that MIDI is still just money for him, which is absolutely wild. With Conley, though, I would actually believe that coaches are more likely to vote him in because he's never gone to the All-Star game before. And they're going to view this as not a just something of a career achievement, career achievement award that he also deserves. So I think it's going to be tough for both of them to get in. I think they each have another player on their team who's more likely to get the nod. I still think Devin Booker is more likely in Phoenix than Chris Paul, and then both Mitchell, even though he started the season out slow, and Gobert in Utah. But there's also look some people I've seen made the case that they think Conley's been Utah's most valuable player this year. I push back against that significantly just because of what Gobert does defensively. Uh, yeah, I think he's them. been their second most behind Gobert. So, and it might even look Donovan Mitchell's peak has been higher lately. It's just that Conley's been more consistent. The other thing to factor in is he is dealing with a hamstring injury now. So, what's going to come into play is how much time does he miss? Um, I think clearing the twenty game threshold has made him he'll be fine. But if it comes down to you know if this is like a coach thing, I actually think it, he's more likely to get in than, than Chris Paul, if only because he's ne- he would deserve it. But it's also the element of he's never been there before. Right. 
You know, what I hope happens, though, is that everyone is just like having an all-star game is monumentally stupid. No one wants to go. All the selections opt out, so they have to pick reserve replacements, you know, and then we eventually get an NFL Pro Bowl situation, and all of a sudden, Isaac Kokoro is an all-star. I mean, players get fined. That is in the CBA that they get fined if they're chosen for the all-star game and don't play. So I don't know if the NBA will show more leeway. Yeah, there's got to be leeway there this season. I mean, they've said it's going to be a bubble environment, right? So you... You, there's no way that you can require a player to go to the all-star game and participate in a mandatory bubble during what's supposed to be their time off. Fair enough. Well, let's stick with... I would be, I would be downright shocked if someone was fined for skipping the all-star game. Look, the NBA already has a, to put it kindly, questionable stance on the national anthem, so it wouldn't surprise me. They don't seem... They're not as in touch with... Uh, morality, as people like to think. I think that we've been reminded of that a couple of times over the past year and a half, but um, it wouldn't surprise me if they find people for not going because it's about yeah. advertising revenue. Like yeah. uh, The Athletic reported that, and I'm sure there'd be pushback from league partners, one of which we are both employed by, uh, and maybe advertisers, like they're going to put the pressure on them. If you don't have the best players in the game, if they exit in mass, there's going to be some issues there. So it wouldn't surprise me if they get fined for skipping it. Uh, would it be a good or bad thing if Mike Conley finally ended his all-star drought, which should have ended a while ago because everyone opted out and he was like a second tier pick? Do you think he would rather be that honorary all-star or just not make it? Knowing him, he'd probably rather not make it, but he also said on the low post once, he made it pretty clear that making the all-star game is important to him. So I, I don't know where I land on that. I also maybe push back against, has he necessarily not that he hasn't deserved to make it but just the guard pool in the west has been forever so deep it's one of those things where it's hard to use the word snub because that implies that you have to replace somebody else but like just in terms and this is why for years i've said that the nba needs to expand all-star rosters yeah because it should be more about should be a level of play reached than you know happening to align with a ridiculously strong positional class because I just I don't want twenty years from now some some eighteen year old to be scrolling through basketball reference and come across Mike Conley's page or whatever it is at that point and be like, oh he never made the all-star team. Let's move on and look at someone else. Yeah. Um that's a that's a great point. Let's stick with Jarf here. Um he actually has two more really interesting questions, so I might give him a, a third one after this. But are there any buyout candidates that could actually impact the the postseason? Well, this is where seeing these questions for the first time makes things a little bit harder. Oh, come on. I can't say that I've thought about buyout candidates too much to this point. So there are – I think there are a few obvious ones. Um, Maybe Robin Lopez in Washington, depending on how bad they get. Um, Cody Zeller in Charlotte has been mentioned, but I feel like they'd be more likely to trade him, and they just don't have bigs, so I don't know why you move him. At this point, even if you don't plan on re-signing him, unless he's giving back a ton of money. Otto Porter in Chicago would be interesting, just if they're just done with him. That's someone who I think could definitely... I'm A wing, if, if a wing is bought out, teams will be foaming at the mouth. And he has not been... His availability has been up in the air, obviously, this year, but he also just hasn't been too great. So that would be a name. Um, I'm trying to think. I guess Trevor Ariza still belongs there. Just he hasn't played Probably this year. So. Hasn't reported to the Thunder, but I could see him... 
Wayne Ellington in Detroit, he makes so little, and he's been just shooting the hell out of the ball. Uh, He would definitely help, but I just feel like he's so cheap that Detroit should be able to get a second-round pick for him on the trade market. And that's the thing. It's like I feel like there's been a noticeable decline in impact buyout market players in recent years just because teams are dealing with fewer awful contracts, but also they're more more willing to give up draft assets. Two, so it, we've seen so many more trades lately, and it's affected the buyout market. Yeah. Uh, and look, buyout candidates always seem like sexier than they actually three, are. Can you name three legitimately impactful buyout stories in the last five years? Well, the the season where it was, who did the Sixers get? Marco Bellinelli, and who was the other one that actually did a lot of work for? Oh, Ursan Ilyasova. Those two ended up being really bad. It can happen, but it's just, I think, the level of player that gets bought out, there's often a disconnect between... A PJ, like, PJ Tucker's not getting bought out. There's a team that Definitely will give not. up a second-round yeah. pick for PJ Tucker, and it, it there are a few of them. Two names that I would find interesting is... So, Dante Exum in Houston. Just, we've seen... Look, he's always injured, including right now. But he's really shown great defense in the postseason in the past. And so if, if his calf injury is healed and he just really doesn't have a place in Houston, which is, I think it's fair. And look, if Tillman Fertitta can save some cash, that would be Gotta one. Gotta do it. Gotta do it. The other one for me, and I don't know if they would want to get rid of him, but Garrett Temple has been fantastic defensively in Chicago this year. And so he doesn't really align with their. not offensively either. Yeah, he has a three balls not falling, but he's been pretty good. Um, there, but defensively, first of all, he's a player the Nets should have kept. By the way, I don't know why um, they let him go, but those would be two names I'd be fascinated by. And maybe there's always like the surprise candidate that we can't see coming. I don't, I don't really know who it is at this point, but like Kyle Lowry's not getting bought out. So anyone waiting on that scenario, I very much apologize to you. Let's again, let's stick. This will be Jar's last question. Which is the best team that will lose in the first round this year? Hmm. How are, how are we approaching answering that? Because I mean, that it's the Utah Jazz the playoffs right? first. It's the Utah Jazz. You think so? Just if they get the wrong matchup, that can play Gobert off the court. Right. Look, right now, I would be. I wouldn't necessarily say this would be a certainty, but if they ended up having to match up with, with the Warriors as the eight seed, that's a disaster. Just because I don't, I'm not saying the Warriors would definitively win, but that's not, you don't want to face Stephen Curry in the first round. You don't. I, I I think I just have too much confidence in the Jazz still. Just when everyone's at full strength, they just have so many impactful, positive players and so few negative players in their rotation that it's hard for me to see them totally bottoming out. I think m- my answer would be whoever earns the number one seed in the East. Just because as we talked about, there are so many quality teams in that Eastern Conference that the eighth seed is going to be a good one that has enough ability to threaten a top-heavy team like that. My my actual pick would be the Denver Nuggets um, and maybe the Dallas Mavericks, but I'm just lower on them than the consensus right now. You look at Denver, I think it's definitely fair to say Jamal Murray is more valuable in the playoffs, which is absolutely true, but the defense is they just don't have that wing defender right now. And this is as the rosters currently stand, so maybe this changes, but Paul Millsap and Jermichael Green can pitch in on like a LeBron type or Anthony Davis type, but the teams that they're going to have to go through and might be matched up with in the first round are going to have a second guy there's there's Kawhi and pg there's anthony davis and lebron james right um even in phoenix it's like okay who do we have to go up against chris paul who do we have to go up against devin booker like though gary harris will get one of those and he'll he should be fine but like who's who's the other 
So my pick definitely to me would also have to come from the West. I still think that the top one or two teams, maybe three in the East, are going to be decidedly better than eight. I know the Hawks are – and that's assuming we don't know how the playing tournament is going to shake out. Maybe the Knicks end up winning the playing tournament. Yeah, I mean tournament. like the Heat could very well end up with the eight seed though. That's – I would still – yeah. All right. That, but I, I think the pick has to come in the West because whatever team is in the eight seed is actually going to be really good. Yeah, if it's I a, think if, if we look at it as like which team would be the most likely to lose to like a generic eight seed, like – a typical eight seed from one of the past five seasons, just that strength team. It's not the Lakers. It's not the Clippers. It's not the Bucks. And then we're at like the not Sixers, the Sixers the Nets. It could be the Nets because if that, that offense goes cold, if egos prevail. Um, but then I think the next tier is like the Jazz and the Suns. I actually wouldn't pick that. It, it would take the right matchup for me to actually pick the Jazz in this, like the matchup that works against them in the first round. I still think there's something too. I don't know how good they'll be in the playoffs, but I'm not like that low on them. I think that'd be blasphemous think, at this point. I think the Nets are going to be my official answer. Mine are, mine's going to be the Nuggets. So we're on record as that. Well, we we have the right to change our minds if they make any serious roster changes. Right. That's a cool question though. I like that just because there's no like conventional way to think about how to answer that. Yeah. Um, next question, let's go with, and this will cover a few of them, but this is the only Bradley Beal one we will answer from Josh. Does Bradley Beal get traded and to nope. who? Nope. I don't think he gets traded this season because the reporting has been so strong that he wants to stay in Washington. And there's no reason for leaking that to Unless, this extent. Right, right. And it's him saying it and he's not going to care what the Wizards get back. And the Wizards don't want to trade him. He doesn't want to be traded. Every party involved has made it clear that they're still playing for this season. You still want to see what he can do with Russell Westbrook actually healthy for a prolonged period. It's not going to work. It's dumb. They should trade him, but they're not going to. Is he on the Wizards to start next season? Yes. Ooh. I would say no still. Which team would you view as the most likely? Let's say he gets moved before next year. Which team is most likely to have traded for him? I think it's got to be Denver. We've been talking about that for so long, just how, how much sense that makes, how much ammo they have that they can move. And if Denver, if he does become, if, if Beal does become available before this year's trade deadline, the Nuggets are 13 and 11. Like they can very much justify a swing for the fences move, both because they know how good they are and because of how much they've struggled relative to expectations to this point. So I can absolutely see them being willing to part with Jamal Murray or Mike Porter Jr. or whatever else it might be that's not Nikola Jokic to get him. Um, and then if they don't make a deep playoff run, that situation isn't going to have changed during the offseason. Here's my thing is Bradley Beal doesn't fix what they need most. And so, look, this question comes from Nuggets, aptly named account Nuggets. Uh, is trading Jamal something you would really consider if you were the Nuggets GM? And so if you're getting Bradley Beal, are you, do you, would you prefer to part with Jamal Murray or Michael Porter Jr.? I'm not giving up both. I want to make that clear. But if it's one or the other and there's other moving parts there like salaries, we might have – I think we've already talked about this. Would yeah. you move Jamal Murray or Michael Porter Jr.? My answer hasn't changed. I, I would still move Murray. I think that, that Porter is just a more natural fit alongside the other stars, especially in a system where, where Jokic can dominate the ball in the half court. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that Porter's ability to score from all three levels, both on and off the ball, which we don't typically see Murray operate as much as a spot-up guy. He's great as that that roll, rolling guard in the, the reverse pick and rolls. But he he's more of a luxury to this team than Porter is, as weird as that might be to say. 
I don't know if he's more of a luxury right now, but I think he might be a little bit more redundant with Bradley well, Beal than Michael Porter Jr. And the idea Jr. of him, because the, the ceiling is still so ridiculously lofty. Yeah, I, I think... Also, I, in general, like unless it's a transcendent guard, you're typically keeping the wing over the guard. I'm, I think I'm still with you, but what bothers me about Michael Porter Jr. is he, seem, he seems very much to care about his on shot attempts. What's that? What bothers you on the court? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that bothers me off the court, but... He seems like, is he going to be okay because of being the third option still? And that he seems like someone, he already had that like weird press conference in the bubble this, this past but year. But then both he and the team responded to that weird press conference in the bubble by playing better. I don't, I don't know. Like I, I get the sense that he's a player with a big ego who also knows how to control the ego. Look, I, I think it's a conversation. I ultimately have the answer that you would. I prefer to trade Jamal mm-hmm. Murray in that scenario. My pick for where he would go, though, would probably be New Orleans or Tor- Toronto. I think those would be the teams that would take the, the all-in swing on him, particularly heading into last year of his, his contract. Maybe New Orleans is actually less likely at that point. You would need a commitment that he's going to resign if you're if you're the Pelicans. This question comes from Jacob W. Bourne, very good friend of the podcast and just us in general. How many wins do the Warriors need by the end of the season for Steph to be considered an MVP candidate? Is it 40? Is five, is 500 basketball enough? Yeah, just given what we've seen traditionally from the MVP voting, I think Russell Westbrook was the like only guy not in the top four to win MVP. For like a zillion years, yeah. It's definitely yeah. happened before, but not recently. Yeah, I, yeah I, I remember. I think Wes Unsold was one of those, if I remember correctly, that like missed the playoffs and, made, and, and won MVP maybe. Um, but, but back on topic, I I think that just because of that, that history, you're probably looking at like 45 to 50 wins. I was going to say the the low ends. I was going to say, because this year's so wonky, maybe people are more like, that was in an 82 game season. So it would be, I would say 40, so 43 to 44 would be a 60 winning percentage. And as of right now, that would put you fifth in the West. And I just feel like there's enough weirdness this year to maybe where people are willing to go off the beaten path and look more so at well look at his supporting cast rather than i feel people normally skew towards the most dominant player on the the Mm. best team so that would be 43 to 44 45 territory would be that for for me and that's over the course of a 72 game season yeah i think i'd probably go a little bit below that in the 72 game season just because this year is so wonky and i think there there is a lot of recognition you know, it's one thing if the Warriors were fully healthy and not good, but just because Clay Thompson went down right before the season, before they had a chance to adjust, I think that gives him a little bit more standing leeway. But yeah, I mean, I think you, you still have to be probably a home court advantage team in the West. Certainly because of the way the conversation has gone thus far, where it's been, well, Jokic is not a team that's currently slated for home court advantage, but LeBron is, Joel Embiid is. And I think you throw Kawhi in there. I think he's been among the third most mentioned. Um, well, four, if you include Jokic. And then maybe Kevin Rand, although the chatter is sort of like slowed there. But when you're looking at the alternatives, when so many of them come from teams that are going to finish in the top four, I think you absolutely need to be in the top four in the conference. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, if if Steph does somehow win MVP this season, Rick Buecher might just have to mute all of Twitter. Oh my God! Thank God he doesn't work for the same company as us anymore, so that we can say that. That was I know this, I, had to th- I had to think about that before I said it. That was one of the single worst sports takes of all time. I just mad having to mute Stephen Curry because people are celebrating him too much. Um, 
shut the fuck up. That's my message to you. Like that is the dumbest thing I've seen on the, on the internet. Uh, next question comes from this one is, I don't really know. I don't really know how to describe this one, but um, from Wald of Oz, what's a reasonable price Denver could give up for Lou Dort? Any chance OKC would bite? I think the latter is the most important here. Yeah, can we just answer the second part first? And, Lou Dort and, is like, 21 no. years old. is one of the best defenders in basketball. Three-point shot comes and goes, but he's gotten... Ex- there's got, way more offensive upside than we realized. Yeah, there's he's gotten increasingly better at just turning the corners with the ball in his hands. He is I I tweeted the I tweeted the other night uh, when they almost beat the Lakers without Shea Gilgis Alexander, mind you. Los Angeles didn't have Anthony Davis, but they didn't have Shea Gilgis Alexander. Um, I tweeted about Lou Dort. Lou Dort is what you get when the unstoppable force is also the immovable <laughs> object. <laughs> You're not wrong, but no, I mean like. Um, I have no idea what the trade package would be just because there's no way that the Thunder are realistically parting with him. Yeah, he's so he's 21 years old. He's under team control for another two years at under $4 million total. Uh, $1.8 million next year, $1.9 million team option the year after. It would take, maybe OKC is like, look, we're not going to be great in two years. And he's going to command this huge contract. We already have to pay Shea. Maybe we like Darius Baisley better. We're going to have, hopefully, a high pick in this year's draft. We have other picks incoming. I'm just saying, if you had to talk yourself into moving Dort, I'm not going to view this through the lens of the Nuggets. What would it realistically take for OKC to consider it? And I, all, right, I, all right, I'll make the offers, and, and we'll see if you take them. We'll see how far down the roster we can work here. You're trading him for Jokic, right? No, that's... <laughs> <laughs> what I was going to say is it would take a minimum... Of two first round picks to get Lou Dort. And I'm not even sure if that's wow. enough. Okay, yeah. I, because, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's. Because the teams that are going to give up two first. He would pro- be a great fit in Denver. Well, he would be a fantastic fit in Denver. Um, if they are going to. like an ideal fit. <laughs> but, but, like, it's. In Denver's, in Denver's defense, they were willing to pay Jeremy Grant. He just bet on himself um, for no, equal right. money in Detroit. Uh, let's make that clear. But. So pro- along those lines, like, Hypothetically, like, what do you think Denver would have to give up for Doncic? Okay, okay, but seriously though, look, if you're Denver, I, I think it would have to be two first and RJ Hampton. I think that would be the like because you're a good team. So how valuable are your first round picks? Um, I don't think the Thunder are going to be super interested in Bull Bull. Which here's straight up, I'm going to ask you this with a straight face: Would you trade Michael Porter Jr. for Lou Dort? No. Okay. No, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm trying to imagine like what would go through Sam Presti's head if another general manager called him and was like, "So, what's your price for Lou Dort?" It's happened. It has absolutely you think happened. So? Yeah, that's. I, I feel that's... like I feel like general managers like have enough respect for each other, and I'm not. I'm genuinely not making fun of the question because he really is an ideal fit. No, look, but, it's like, an interesting thought exercise because he's not one of the but, most like, untouchable the, the players in the league. Between, Right. It, it's just a weird one. It's, but, it's a very strange interaction to imagine. I would think if you're getting, if you're negotiating with a contender, I would probably say it ends up being two firsts and then a prospect. Not Michael Porter Jr., but like two Okay, fir- but uh, can, I, can I push back on that? Why the fuck does Oklahoma City want more first-round picks? <laughs> like, okay, you're, yeah. you're using them hoping they turn into Lou Dortz. <laughs> 
That's why I like that, those those picks from contenders. So that's what you want them to turn into. Here's here's another question I have for you, and it was posted. That would be like the Sam Hinkiest move that you could possibly possibly make. That is a great point, and I think that's why. So it would have to be tangible stuff, which means that you're probably looking at two young. It's got to be a player, yeah. So I you already said no to Michael Porter Jr. Is there a prospect that springs to mind? No, and like, that's like legitimately. That's why I started with Jokic because. I was already thinking that about the draft picks. So it, it wasn't registering to me that those are things that I could offer here just because I didn't think Oklahoma City would have any interest. So in my head, I'm like, okay, definitely not Jokic. They would definitely wouldn't trade Jamal Murray. They definitely wouldn't trade Michael Porter Jr. Where do you go from there? Like, would you trade, you trade anyone from the door? I would think, right? I think you would trade anyone else. But like, that's not really saying much when you're looking at Denver's roster to me. Bobo exactly. and RJ Hampton is, okay, cool, but... Or if they wanted like Monte Morris or Jamichael Green or Will Barton or something, but then like, why is Oklahoma City doing? Well, someone posed. I think this was Sam Quinn on Twitter from CBS Sports posed. Would you rather have the number four pick in this year's draft or Lou Dort? The number four pick in this year's draft. It's close for me. This draft is so good. Here's so I'm I've just been salivating, especially after watching watching Jonathan Kuminga's G League Ignite debut. I'm I'm just so excited about this draft class. I legitimately think they're like six or seven guys who'd be number one picks in a normal year. So if Washington comes knocking with a top five pick this year because they want to keep Bradley Beal and they're like, hey, give us Lou Dort. Okay. I would do that. I would do that. I think it's questionable unless it's the number one pick or two pick or maybe three. But here was a question that was posed to me on because I've been on a bunch of podcasts this week, which um, I try to say yes to every single I podcast. I love how much time we spent on Lou Dort, by the way. Oh, well, we're, not, we're only going to move. It's adjacent. This is Lou Dort adjacent. Okay. Um, I was on the Chase Thomas podcast, fellow Blue Wire podcast. They he asked me, Michael Porter Jr. for OG Ananobi. Hmm. Do you know I I like that deal so much better. And there's the OG Ananobi poison pill stuff. Like we get it, but I like that deal for Denver. That is OG Ananobi is the exact type of player that they need, and. For Toronto, I think it's at least questionable. I think I wouldn't do it unless they're including more than Michael Porter Jr. just because of his injury history, and he's a wild card on defense. You already know that OG Ananobi is a two-way player. But I thought that was a fascinating thought exercise. Am I wrong? No, you're not. Um, I, I think I would do it for both sides. I, I think I need a Ananobi little... Is, Ananobi is such a good fit for Denver. That, that speaks for itself. Uh, but I think you can sell yourself on... The upside of Porter, especially because of how potent he is on offense. Like ultimately, you still have a roster that's going to be a better defensive team than offensive team. If you're keeping Kyle Lowry in place, especially, I so I think that he he fits really well there. I don't know where I would land on it, but I think it's I think it's very close. Eric with a K asks. What's the most realistic package for Alonzo to the Bulls trade? And would he actually be a good fit with Zach Levine? I'll let you go first because it's a trade question. <laughs> Lonzo Ball has been playing out of his mind since the trade rumors hit. And I think part of that is the Pelicans have kind of put the ball in Zion Williamson's hands more. And if you use Brandon Ingram as more of a shooter, it's going to open the floor for everybody else but there's you know there's sort of no denying here that Lonzo Ball has been night and day over his last 10 games 15.8 points 4.9 assists shooting 46.2 percent 
from three-point range. And I do think he's a good fit with Zach Levine because Levine can put a little bit more pressure on the rim and Lonzo Ball is a good defender, not locked down one-on-one, but he'll be disruptive. I don't know what a reasonable price is now because Lonzo Ball has played so well, where it's like a lot of people were suggesting the framework be Larry Markinen for Lonzo Ball. Just give them, give both teams two distressed, soon-to-be restricted free agents. But Lonzo Ball... It feels like a weird fit in New Orleans, though. I think Larry Markinen helps because he's a better shooter than Nicole O'Malley or anybody else that they have in the front court. Um, That being said, Lonzo Ball, to me, is the much more valuable asset. And so it's probably Larry Markinen and a first... See, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I, this is one of those situations where I look at the two teams, and it's like when you're in a fantasy league and you look at someone else's roster and are just like, yeah, like we're just not natural trading partners. And the other, yeah, and the thing that's weird too, just because Lonzo Ball is going to be a free agent this summer, the Bulls might have the cap space to go out and give him this monster offer. And so, why are you going to give up so much value? Having his bird rights helps because you can match anything, but at the same time. I don't know what they – I think it, for New Orleans to consider it, though, it would probably have to be marking it in at first. I don't know if Chicago would be willing to do that, but that would be my my framework there. There are other teams that I feel like would make more sense for Lonzo. I think he's a good fit with Levine, but um, Golden State has been floated. I think that would be a good match. Uh, New York now has Derrick Rose and Alfred Payton, so not them, but I liked New York for Lonzo Ball. They'll have cap space too this summer, though. So I, I do think because of how well Lonzo Ball has played, it's probably less likely now that he gets moved, right? Probably so. I think, especially now that they're winning too, I think it's increasingly clear that with this version of Zion Williamson, who it really feels in the last week or so that he's like figured it out, it just seems like things have clicked for him. Um, given how they're playing right now, I think it's more realistic that Ball could be the long-term point guard. This is hysterical. Uh, no, it's, oh, no, I'll push back against that. He, I don't think he's a fit long-term in Phoenix. They need a different kind of, they need to mess with the makeup of that roster a little bit. He doesn't put enough half-court pressure like he just can't be your your point guard in in those situations so i don't really like him for the pelicans that much long term with both ingram and zion there see i I think that ingram and zion can eventually both take enough of the ball handling responsibilities that it works Uh, you need to then this has to be how he shoots it can't be oh six weeks good exactly six weeks terrible I'm I'm operating under the assumption that he continues to play like this for the rest of the season. We have another Pelicans question, but I find this hysterical because I'm just going through these now. Like we said, this was an off-the-cuff podcast. Jake Vandenbrink actually asked about the Michael Porter Jr. for OG Ananobi swap. I swear that's not what I was reading before. Um, he asked, does it make sense for them to trade MPJ for an athletic defense-first-minded wing? OG Ananobi would be the dream, but that might not be realistic. I would probably agree it's not realistic, but Lou Dort! For MPJ, that's deal staring you right in the face, Denver. <laughs> I hope it happens now, just so that you can rub that in everyone's noses for all eternity. Um, this uh, let's make this our our last one. Who are some, and it's for the Pelicans. Who are some realistic trade targets for the Pelicans that would help propel them to a six, seven, eight seed? And we already answered this. Is Lonzo playing himself into an extension or trade? Let's do this. Let's finish the second one first. Is Lonzo on the Pelicans at the end of the season? I think so. Do they re-sign him in restricted free agency? That's just contingent on whether this keeps up. Because they don't have to, I mean... Is he on the Pelicans at the start of next year? I think he is. I'm going to say no. I don't know that they would let him walk for nothing, because I could see him finishing the season here. But I feel like maybe sign-and-trade scenarios would open up 
in in that case where maybe a team with that doesn't have cap space would be interested in him. I'm I'm buying into the improvement. The I bought into it last year. Play style. I can't do I can't do it long right. term. I, I think I think he can be that this player. I'm just not sure the Pelicans can facilitate it long term. This is not, to me. It's more about the makeup yeah. of the roster than Lonzo Ball. Are there any trade targets? Which is fair. Are there any trade targets you would like to see the Pelicans pursue this season that could bolster their playoff odds? Should they be making those moves? Is the question. They one hundred percent should be. They've already paid Ingram. So? They paid Stephen Adams. Zion is is really good now. You're gonna have to pay Josh Hart at some point. Like they, I would go all in. I, if he was available, I would trade for Bradley Beal if I if I was them. But on a smaller scale, you know, they they definitely need wings. Their their wings are Brandon Harrison Ingram Barnes and Josh really Hart. That's where my head went first. What wings? Harrison Barnes. He would be interesting. I'd be curious what the asking price is there uh, for Sacramento because Barnes is having a career year. He's also just under contract for so long that does does New Orleans want to saddle themselves with the final three years or two, excuse me, two years and 38.6 million of his deal. But he would be very interesting fit there. As would Buddy Heald. Joe, I thought about a sort of a short term solution and maybe there's like a combination deal here. I like PJ Tucker in New Orleans. Um, Can you get Daniel House as part of that too? Those might be just two lower key players that are great fits with the the roster. I even contemplated Victor Oladipo for a minute. If the asking price is just so low where you're giving up salary filler, or if you're getting off Bledsoe's money in the process, I would consider it. Um, he might be interesting there to me. Wayne Ellington, maybe. I just they need they don't need more guards to me. Even one who plays off the ball as well. It's like oh, so you're going from JJ Redick to Wayne Ellington, who has been better than Redick this year. But right, that's what I'm viewing it as. Just kind of an upgrade there. It'd be great for them if the Pacers were willing to trade Justin Holiday. I just don't see it. I'm trying to think of like the mid tier guys. And look, there are so you know, many. Would be a great fit. Lou Dort. <laughs> Not what they're shooting at points, even though they've they've kind of perked up. He's there, knocking right? down shots right now. Okay, so are you giving up Zion for Lou Dort? <laughs> Obviously, it's the natural conclusion of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I am trying to go through my mind to see if there's like any lower key. Um, Aaron Gordon would have been interesting, healthy, and if you didn't have Stephen Adams, just as like Adam a Porter Jr. could be fun. I wouldn't trade for him though, unless you're getting off of Bledsoe's money, right? The I'm just trying to look. So here's the other issue with trade targets. I'm noticing this season and why it wouldn't surprise me if we're in for sort of a uh, like a, a quiet trade deadline. Let's call it. You said that last year. <laughs> I definitely didn't predict a quiet trade deadline last year, did I? I did you predict did. a shitty 2021 free agency and everyone thought I was out of my mind. Look what mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, but OG Ananobi would be great for the Falcons. <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> Uh, what about Michael Porter Jr.? This this is what I was getting at, though, is how many teams are going to still fancy them, fancy themselves still in the play-in hunt? And I think the Pistons and the Timberwolves, and I'll say the Thunder, and maybe the Rockets. So I'm, really I'm not s- even sure you want to have the Timberwolves on that list. No, the Timberwolves are they're, – but they're not making the play-in. But I'm saying there, there are maximum – or let's say there are under five teams that are going to be sellers at the trade deadline definitively. Maybe someone pivots that we can't see right now. That makes it so much harder when you're looking at availability. And so unless Detroit's willing I also, to give... I, I still don't know that I'm putting Minnesota in that class. Like they're they're currently, what, six and a half games out of... Tenth uh, place! More, no, six and a half games out of 10th place with Carl Anthony Towns coming back. 
Like I, I can, I don't think they're realistically within striking distance, but I can see themselves talking in, talking themselves into it. That's Lou Dort for Luka Doncic logic. I'm sorry, that's they're not in it. I mean, they don't really so like have ballot, anyone interesting to sell. Is that what you're implying? Uh, Malik Beasley's been good. He might be a good fit in New Orleans. Hey, Jeremy Grant. I wonder. I wonder what the asking price. Like, what would the Pistons demand in a Jeremy Grant trade? I mean, there's an obvious answer. Lou Dort? <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> yeah, I don't that's I'm not saying that teams should go after him, but he would be a great fit for the Pelicans, I would think. They just they need wings. That's who they need to prioritize. Can they get if they can get Reggie Bullock from the Knicks, like hell yeah. Just get wings. That's my advice to the Pelicans at this point. It's kind of a weird thing to advise a Pelican to do. Wow. Okay. I think that's the best place to end this podcast. Thank you for anyone who made it the full sixty-two minutes with us. Please, please, pretty please remember to um, subscribe to us wherever you're getting your podcast. Download every episode. Um, you know, help us promote this. Retweet our tweets on on Twitter. Um, whether or not you use iTunes, please go over there, search Hardware Knox, rate rate it, review it, subscribe to it, juice those numbers. Um, the ratings and reviews help us out a ton, though. This isn't me begging. I'd just like to point it out that a ton of you listen to this podcast and, based off the numbers, have not rated or, or reviewed us. Um, we still love you, though. You can also find us on YouTube. YouTube.com, search Hardwood Knox. Um, subscribe to us there, and you can catch all our podcasts there, normally a day or so later, because we want to give people the benefit of downloading on the phones. But um, we are we are creeping up the subscriber count there, too. And finally, follow us on Twitter, at Hardwood Knox. Until next time, we leave you with a shout-out to the one, the only, who else could it be after the podcast that we just had? Lou Mother Freaking Dort. <laughs>